I don't know about you, but if you've been with us in this time in Revelation, this has been an impactful, convicting, and encouraging all at the same time um, each week as we've looked at these churches. And um, I, I've honestly, I've loved getting a closer look at Jesus' heart for his church, that he, that he cares for us, that he cares about us and what we do and what we believe together. Um, believe it or not, we're at church number five. Time has flown. We are, we are coming into the fifth church, and this one's going to really drive us back into the basics really well. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation 3. So you can grab them, find your place with me there. Um, we're going to talk a lot about the gospel this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, by the way, there should be a hardback black or blue one somewhere near you. You can grab that one, use that one. If you see a nice leather one beside you, don't take that one. That's your neighbor's. Um, And and if you don't own a Bible this morning, I'd love to give you one. So not the leather one, but grab one of those hardback uh, black ones. You can take that with you. It's our privilege. Um, All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to read our text. And then after I read it, we're just going to, we're going to pause. We're going to pray. And then we'll get, we'll get started and we'll dig in. All right. So this is Revelation. We're going to be looking at the first three verses of chapter 3. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have a, the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at the hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Lord God, we love you. And yet we know and we confess that we so often, that we just, we don't love you perfectly. We don't often, we don't often love you the way that we should, but we rest in the fact that as your children, you love us and your love is perfect, it is complete, and it never fails. And so this morning, we come to your word and we ask the same question that we have asked so many times, the same question that we find repeated so many times In our text, Jesus, who said, he who has ears, let him hear. So this morning, we pray that you would give us ears. Would you give us the ears to hear? Holy Spirit, would you open our ears? We thank you for your presence here with us. We love you. And we are here this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, church. All right. So Revelation 2 started with our first church. I'm not going to do, you know, 
um, Bible drill or anything, but first church was, was um, Ephesus. And in Ephesus, we saw a church who was faithful and patient in ministry and a church who just defended doctrine like none other, yet a church who had lost their first love. The second church we saw, we went to Smyrna. This was a church who faced intense persecution. Intense persecution, tribulation because of the gospel. And in this text, rather than Jesus coming to them and saying, no, 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 it's going to be okay. It's all going to be good. You're not going to hurt. He doesn't say that. He comes to this church. He says, it's going to hurt. Look up. Eternity is better. There is a crown for you. There is a crown for you. Then, we move from Smyrna to Pergamum. Pergamum is a church of compromise. A church who, who began to try to take the things of Jesus and mix them up with a little bit of the world, mix them all together. This is a church that tried to smush it all together and have it all and compromise. And, and we saw a church who began to compromise the truth in order to feel more at home in the culture. Then we moved to Thyatira last week. This was a church who had begun to be seduced, to be enticed away. Specifically, this was a church that was being enticed to a way of hedonism, a way of sin, sexual immorality. It was being wooed. And, and this church was a church that openly embraced sexual sin and walked away from the call of Jesus. Each of these churches have been so radically different from each other. Each of these churches deal with different tendencies that they highlight a different temptation in each one of these churches. And these temptations, we talked about this several times, but are not just for them back then. But these are the temptations that we as the people of God can face today, just as real as they did then. And in each one of these, we've seen a different thing that they're dealing with. Here today, we have our next church the church of Sardis, and we are going to see something we've not seen before in this church. Uh, we are going to see something that we didn't see in any of the previous churches. And honestly, it's a particularly challenging one for us this morning uh, to, to look at. Jesus, as, as we just read, he starts off with an introduction, just like he does with the other churches. Um, and he says to the angel of the church in Sardis, he says, the, the words of him, Jesus, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So each one of these introductions, we've talked about this, but has highlighted something unique about Jesus. And, and this one is no different. However, this one is difficult to decipher at first. We read this one and we think, what is, what is he talking about? So Jesus here references seven spirits of God and he references seven stars, right? And, and thankfully... Thankfully, this is not the first nor the last time Jesus will use this language. So we can look and we can see how Jesus has used this language and know what he's talking about. So we've seen the seven stars multiple times already. In fact, in Revelation 1.19, Jesus says, don't worry about it, let me tell you what they mean. And, and Jesus tells us that these seven stars are the seven angels and seven messengers of these church. And way back in the first week, we talked about how this is a direct reference to the pastors, the elders of these churches. That's the seven, the seven stars. But then he drops into the seven spirits. And you read that and you think, what, what is, this is not as common of a reference as, as the stars. However, we've seen it already. 
in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, you see this language for the first time. And then you see it a couple more times around the throne room. So you see it in, in Revelation 4, verse 5, and Revelation 5, verse 4. You see both, both of these references here. In fact, let me bring out one. Um, actually, 5, 6 um, is what I'm going to bring out. John says, I saw a, a lamb standing, although it had been slain. That's Jesus with seven horns and seven eyes, which are what? The seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, we could spend a lot of time kind of digging into the specifics and theories here, but for our time and because I'm not going to keep you here all day, um, we, we, we can focus in on what is clear. So what is clear here is that the seven spirits of God here is a reference to the work of the spirit of God in the world. It's a work of the Spirit of God sent out by Jesus into the world. In other words, this is a direct reference to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work in the world sent out by Jesus. Um, it's the same language we see in Isaiah. Isaiah uses it almost exact. Isaiah 11 uh, verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of uh, might, and the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. What's Isaiah talking about? He's talking about the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Spirit's work in the world, which is really powerful because as we are about to see in this church, that's exactly what it lacked. But I, I don't want to get ahead. So Jesus says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, and then he gets right into it. And I want you to hear me, church. He doesn't start with positive. Jesus just drops right in. He drops right in to, to the problem that he sees in this church. And honestly, it's really difficult even to read this one. Jesus says, I know your works. So church, Sardis, I know what you're doing, Jesus says. I, I, I see you. I know what you're about. I know what you're doing. I know your works. Then he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This is hard for me to read. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So I want to make a couple observations. Uh, these might be weird, but... Follow me. Um, I'm going to make a couple observations here. The first is, is this. Reputation does not always equal reality. Reputation does not equal reality. There are things where there are, there are times when what is seen is not always what is true. There, there are things when, when, when what is projected or what is marketed what is communicated when there's not any substance behind that? Reputation does not always match the reality. And for this church in Sardis, you just got to think, what would it have taken for them to have the reputation of being alive? Well, it would mean that they had some, you know, lifelike signs. Maybe they were, maybe they had life in the past and they were just kind of, living on, on past reputation here. Maybe it's because they were projecting or, or kind of fake it till you make it. We're alive. We're doing these things. 
Whatever the case, the church had the reputation of being alive, of of having life, of life change, of vibrancy. This is what the church was known for in the community and perhaps even among the other churches. They were known, they had a reputation of being alive, but reputation does not always equal reality. Things can seem one thing uh, or one way and be another thing altogether. To be specific in our context, it is possible to be dead on the inside. To be dead on the inside while projecting to others that we are alive and vibrant. That we are, that we can be dead on the inside, lifeless and, and, and just spiritually asleep while projecting to others that we are vibrant. But, but here, here's the thing. We can fool people. We can fool people. Some of us are really good at it. We can fool people. We know how to do it. But we cannot fool God. We cannot fool our God. And while it's possible to project to others, to fool others into thinking that we are spiritually alive, your reputation does not fool your God. He sees right through. He says, you have a reputation. But underneath that, you're dead. Underneath that, you're dead. See, your God sees you, knows you fully. Jesus looks through all of that outward stuff. He looks right through the opinions and the reputation that you might have and that others might have about you. He looks right through that, straight through it, to the heart. His eyes see deeper. Seeming like we are alive might be enough for man. But Christ calls us to actual life. Real, real life. Not pretending, not projecting lifelike signs. Jesus calls us to actual, real life. And so here in our, in our text, Jesus identifies the problem. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are, in fact, dead. So with this statement, I have another observation. Um, the second one is this. Dead does not equal dry. Right, what are you talking about? Dead does not equal dry. I have to ask a question. What does it mean to be dead? What is Jesus pointing to here? It's a scary statement. It is a scary statement. Um, first, what we know is it doesn't mean physical death. These brothers and sisters, they're still breathing. They're still alive. Still living in their community. Not physical death. So what is it? Well, it's spiritual death. It's the reputation of being alive, spiritually alive, when you're not, when you're dead, when it's nasty on the inside. So what does it mean? And the reason I ask this is because you don't need to put up your hand here. But how many have gone through a season of spiritual dryness? It's like a drought, you know? How many have gone through a season where you want to want the things of God? Where you're just like every prayer, it all starts to sound the same of, God, would you do something? Would you speak? Would you, would you do something in me? Would you stir something in me? I want to feel something. Fill me up, Lord. Would you breathe fresh life into my lungs? Have you ever been in a place where you feel agonizingly dry? 
The reason I ask this and the reason I bring this up is because I want to pull out a lie and smash it. And, and here's the lie. That, well, let me tell you the truth, and then I'll get to the lie. So here's the truth. Your spiritual walk will include mountains and valleys. Your spiritual walk will include highs and lows. Because you're a human, a fallen human, being sanctified. It, it comes with being a human. And, and your spiritual walk, in other words, will have moments where it's just crazy good. Like, it just mountaintop. You can't wait to spend time with Jesus. Your prayer life is natural and vibrant and amazing. And at the same time, you're going to go through moments where your spiritual life is one of exhaustion, maybe boredom, disinterest, moments of distraction, moments of heaviness, moments to where you find yourself always going to Netflix, not because of some legalism thing, but because you just can't get yourself to go through this, can't get yourself to do, to pray. You, you just, it's dry. It's, it's, Maybe you're here this morning, and you're in a moment very similar to that, to some degree. Maybe this is, this is you, and, and your prayer is, God, would you kindle again that fire in my heart? Would you stoke that fire, Lord? Um, here's the deal. Jesus is not condemning his children for dryness. Jesus is not condemning his children for going through, walking through dry seasons. In fact, he's walking with you. These dry seasons are not wasted. If you're in one right now, there's a purpose. Jesus is with you. He is walking with you. He has a plan and a purpose for this season. And the last thing I want you to hear is like you walked in feeling a little dry, and now you walk out feeling dry and condemned. <laughs> okay? I don't want that. I don't want that. So, so dead does not equal dry. Um, when Jesus uses the word dead, it's, it's dead. It's, 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 it's Ephesians 2 dead. Like if you remember Ephesians 2, or, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is spiritual death. That's what Jesus is, is talking about. Um, one more, and this one's going to be even weirder, so follow with me. So, so you does not equal y'all. Go and put that one up there. There we go. I never know if I spell this right, in all honesty. I'm not a good Texan. But anyway, I think that's right. You does not always equal y'all. Here's what I mean by this. In your Bible, the you pronoun, especially in the New Testament, is almost always plural. Like if you had a good Texan translation, most of the yous should be y'alls. Most all of them. In fact, you can default to it. You're going to be right most of the time, except for this time. Most of the time, it, it, it's plural, it's y'all, it, it, but not, this is not one of those times. What we are looking at here in our text, it's a singular you. Why is that? This is important. Why would that be? Because Jesus here is not talking to you individual in the church, and a collection of yous, y'alls, in the church, 
He's not doing that. What Jesus is doing is he's talking to the church as a whole, as a collective. And so what he's basically saying is, you, Sardis Bible Church, you, Sardis Bible Church, have the reputation of being spiritually alive. But you, Sardis Bible Church, are dead. It's a collective statement. It's you because it's referring to the whole. It's not y'all referring to a collection of individuals. You referring to the whole. And what a declaration this would have been. I want you to just imagine if Jesus walked through those doors and said, you, Stone Oak Bible, have a reputation of being alive, but you, Stone Oak Bible Church, are dead. Like that's that's it's what a an incredible statement. The reason I bring this one up is because he gives this collective statement of the problem, and and I want you to know now he's going to give you a collective command. Collective problem, collective command. Let's go to verses two and three. So Sardis Bible Church, he says, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then, remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. Wake up. So first, he says, wake up. He says, he says um, wake up. And have you ever heard of a wake-up call? This is Jesus' wake-up call to this church. And um, I have a really morbid example. Please bear with me. Roadkill. Um, <laughs> said enough. Uh, roadkill. So if you were to pull off the car and get out, walk up to roadkill and come up beside it, wake up. What would happen? <laughs> nothing. Like, nothing. Why? Because dead things don't wake up. Dead things don't wake up. Dead things, they don't need a wake-up call. They need a resurrection call, right? They don't, they don't wake up. So two things that's happening here in this text. So two things. Number one, Jesus is giving a wake-up call to the faithful within this church, the faithful within this dead church. He's telling the faithful to wake up. We're going to see this a little bit later. But the second thing he's doing, and here's the crazy thing. I said dead things, they don't need a wake-up call. They need a resurrection call. It just so happens that that's Jesus' predominant ministry. Bringing dead things to life. Jesus says, get up, Lazarus. And he does and calls dead things to life, dead hearts to life. The gospel is all about resurrection. So, so this church collectively, he says, the remedy for dryness, the remedy, sorry, I misspoke, for deadness. The remedy for deadness is not just to try hard to wake up, but the remedy is to have Jesus simply say over us, wake up. Wake up. It's a wake-up call to the sleeping faithful, and it's a resurrection call 
to the dead. Wake up. He looks at this church collectively. He says, wake up. Wake up. And Jesus has the power to do that. Wake up. Then he says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Um, again, this is a call to the church collectively. I want to, side note, um, take a real quick, real quick, important side note. Um, it's really important to understand this because he says, strengthen what remains, you know, Sardis Bible Church and is about to die. This is a collective command. And if we take this individualistic, if we take this individual, it leads us to some dangerous places. It leads us to some dangerous places. It leads us to believe that as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, that we can lose our sonship and daughtership. It leads us, it could, to believe that, that we could go from alive in Jesus and then die spiritually. And I, I want you to hear me. Scripture does not teach that. I want you to hear me. I believe in what the church has called for centuries, the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints, that when we are made alive together in Christ, when we are justified, we can know for certain that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. That, that he will make us alive with him for all eternity. That spiritual resurrection as our eyes opened is followed by physical resurrection later. That our sanctification will be completed in glorification. So although you may and you will journey through seasons of dryness, in your walk with Jesus, as you remember, dry doesn't equal dead. Christians don't go from, you know, being dead, Jesus making us alive, back to being dead. Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And nothing can separate us from. So this means that he's powerful to save and he's powerful to keep. Stand on that. Brother and sister, stand on that. He's powerful to bring us to life, and he's powerful to keep us in life. Trust in this. Trust in this. Um, whereas it is impossible, I'll bring it back to the text. My side note is done. It was an important one, but now I'm back. Um, where I said it was, was uh, it's so important to know that this is collective, um, listen, it's not possible for a child of God to be alive in Jesus and then to be adopted as a son and then not uh, dropped, you know? Um, here's the thing. If you think about this collectively, it is absolutely possible for a church collectively to be alive and vibrant and to die. Not possible for you as a child of God possible as a church collectively to go from alive and vibrant walking in the spirit to dead that is what is on the line here jesus here is looking at and calling and speaking into a church that is dead and dying dead and 
dying. And he's pleading with them, wake up and, what does he say? Strengthen the parts that are dying. This is a call to discipleship and worship. This is a call to come back to the gospel. And then Jesus gives this familiar command. Um, it's actually really similar to the one we see in, in, for the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. He says, remember then what you received and heard, and keep it, and repent. In other words, remember and draw your mind back to what you have been given, what you have been told, what you have been taught to the gospel. Bring your mind back to the things that you were doing before, that you knew that you clung to before when you were alive. Remember my word, Jesus says. Remember and then keep it and repent. Keep my word, hold fast to the gospel, repent of your sin and your, and your deadness as a church. Now, I, I know, you know, talking about this collective individual thing, um, it's, it's hard for us as the Western church to think in terms of collective. Um, we are so individualistic, but this is honestly, church, a call collectively for a church collective to wake up, to repent together. That's to recognize the collective deadness. This was a call to recognize that the, there is a deadness that lies underneath the reputation. That's what this was. And it was a call to repent. Jesus says, then, if you do not, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I come against you. Again, an absolutely weighty and scary statement. Um, okay, obvious statement of the morning. Although the roadkill was pretty obvious, this might be just as obvious. Um, for those who are, well, let, me, let me put it like this. It's easy to sneak up on dead things. It's, it's really easy to sneak up on things that are sound asleep. It's really easy. So for those who are spiritually asleep, spiritually dead, it's really easy to sneak up on them. How simple is that? I mean, that, that's what Jesus is saying here. They aren't perceptive. They lose their perception. It's the same thing that Jesus will say in Matthew 24. He says, therefore, stay awake. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour that I'm coming, but know this. If the master of the house knew the part of the night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. So his house wouldn't have been broken into. What's Jesus saying? He's saying it's really easy to sneak up on sleeping people. It's really easy to catch sleeping people off guard. I hate being caught off guard while I sleep, by the way. I wake up in a horrible mood when this happens. Um, but it's easy to sneak up on something that is dead or asleep. And, and Jesus says, stay spiritually aware Wake up, wake up. This is, this is a clear reference here in Matthew, by the way, of judgment that is coming. This whole thief language that we see in our text and in Matthew, this is a reference to the fact that Jesus is going to come as the perfect and righteous judge, and he says, wake up. This is your report card, Sardis. Wake up. I am coming. Don't let it be like a thief in the night. Stay awake. Stay awake, wake up. And um, these next couple verses are so challenging. They are so challenging. And we have to read them carefully. 
we have to read these things carefully um, because when we, as we read them carefully and correctly, they're the most beautiful verses in this whole section, okay? Um, here we move. Okay, been talking a lot about the collective. You're going to notice in our text now, Jesus is going to shift. He's no longer dealing with just the collective. In this verse, verse 4, he shifts into the individual. That's why it's important to understand there's a difference here because Jesus is about to make a shift. And as he, do, as he does, here's what he says. He, he, he says, verse 4, yet you still, Sardis Bible Church, have a few names in Sardis. Now let's move to the individuals. People who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white. For they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Listen, um, before we talk about what this verse says, I want to make sure we're very clear on what it does not say. Verse 4 gives a description of the faithful in this church. He gives this description, pure garments, not soiled. He says, uh, walking with Jesus in white and purity, he, uh, holiness. He says, being worthy. He gives all these descriptions. Um, I, you got to hear me. You cannot do that ever. You cannot do that. Do not fool yourself. You are a sinner, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one, not one. Your garments, in other words, they're soiled. Uh, you can't walk with Jesus in white, in purity. You're not worthy. Uh, the whole point and beauty of the gospel is to tell you the truth about what you already know about yourself. You're not worthy. You are not worthy. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus meets you right where you are. He meets you right where you are. He does not call you to perfect righteousness. What he does is he brings perfect righteousness to you Amen. in and through himself. The gospel tells you, your garments are spoiled. The gospel tells you that even on your good days, by the way, that your best attempts at righteousness are like filthy, nasty, that's my, you know, add-in language here, rags. Your best days. Your, your, your best days. Filthy rags. You can't walk with Jesus in white. You are not worthy. The gospel tells you, you cannot do this. And if you hear nothing else this morning, listen, the gospel tells you, you cannot do this. And at the same time, Jesus can. Jesus accomplished it all. This tells us that in Christ we are forgiven, we are justified, we are made holy, we are made righteousness. And it tells us that in Christ we are clothed, you're clothed with, with righteousness. That means that your, your soiled clothes are no more tells us that because of Jesus, we're now dressed in white. 
So now, that we, now we can walk with him. The gospel tells us that we are in Christ and that Christ is worthy so that now in him, we are worthy. You are worthy, not based on your own and what you bring to the table. You are worthy because Christ is worthy and you are in him. This is the great exchange of the gospel, that Jesus takes all of our sin and gives you righteousness. To use the same language we've seen in our text, he takes our nasty soiled garments and clothes us in white. This is the exchange of the gospel. This is, this is what it all is. Jesus is pointing here to the individuals in the church. He's moving from the collective down to the individuals, those who have been saved by grace and faith. And, and he, he points to those in Sardis. And in verse 4, look at this again. You, church, collective again, you still have a few names in Sardis. So even in the midst of this dead and dying church, there are still few This is people who have not soiled their garments, again, because they are clothed in the garments of Christ. They're going to walk with me in white. Again, they're walking in the purity and holiness of Jesus. It says, for they are worthy. Yes, again, because they are in Christ and because Christ is worthy. Verse 4 reminds us of the truth and the power of the gospel. The truth and the power of the gospel, that no matter where the crowd is going, no matter where the masses are headed, Jesus here is referring to the faithful remnant. And and listen to five again. To the one who conquers will be thus clothed in white white garments. Notice it's being clothed. This is the righteousness of Jesus being placed on them. And I want to draw out two gospel truths from verse five. Two gospel truths from verse five. The first one is this. Jesus never blots out. I love this. Going back to those names. You still had a few names in Sardis. Going back to that. Jesus says this, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. My favorite word has got to be this one. Never. Never goes back to what we've already talked about this morning. Never. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Never. Never, ever. This means that when your name is in the book, it's in permanent ink. There is no whiteout, there's no eraser, um, there's no blotting out. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God has declared you as his son and his daughter, and I want you to hear me, he does not lie about that. He purchased you, and he does not have buyer's remorse about you. He knew what he was purchasing. He does not blot out. And second, as if we can handle more good news, or, or in, this, in this verse, he says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Jesus Christ is our savior, and he is our mediator. He is our mediator. Listen, if there is anyone here, anyone hearing this, who right now is, is doubting, 
wrestling with doubt, struggling with the doubt in your own heart, struggling maybe doubting your own salvation, maybe you're struggling with sin, maybe you're, you're in doubt this morning. If that is you, I want you to listen. For those who are in Christ, I want you to listen to Jesus' words to you. I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. I will confess your name. And so if your salvation was based on you, if it was because of you or earned by you, then yes, you have absolutely every reason to panic. You have every reason to doubt. You have every reason to have little freak out moments all the time because you know you. You know you. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is so good. The gospel tells you that your salvation is not based on you, not because of you, not earned by you. It's not because of how good you can confess. It is that when we are, as we are in Christ, Jesus confesses our name to the Father. He intercedes. He mediates for us. The gospel tells you that your God demonstrated his great love for you while you were dead in your sin through the work of Jesus Christ. The gospel tells you that you were saved through his work because God loves you and that Jesus saved you and he does not lose what he found. He does not return what he's purchased. What the gospel says is that he saves you and that he keeps you, that the Holy Spirit seals you and that Jesus confesses your name before the Father. So here's the call this morning. Wake up. Wake up. If you're spiritually sleeping, wake up. Look to Jesus. Let this be the wake-up call. If you're spiritually dead, Let Jesus say, wake up. It doesn't matter if I say it. Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. Jesus wants to bring dead things to life. Wake up. Let me sum it up like this. Go ahead and put that up here. Jesus wants, he wakes up the sleeper. He resurrects the dead. And Jesus keeps those who are his. Say this again. Jesus wakes up the sleeper. Jesus resurrects the dead, and Jesus keeps those who are his. Let's wake up, because in Christ you are righteous, because in Christ you are perfect and being perfected, because in Christ you are worthy, because in Christ you are kept, because in Christ you are sealed forever. And as we're closing, I got to ask, can you imagine, I'm going to talk specifically about the Western church here, American church. Can you imagine if we woke up? If we woke up, this is why we preach the gospel. This is why we hold to this. This is why we don't need to take anything away from this. We don't need to add anything to this. I want to be a church who is alive, a church indwelled by the Holy Spirit, a church with not just the reputation of being alive, but life. I want us to be that church. And so I want to finish with um, our final verse as we respond and pray. 
he who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Thank you.